Uh, welcome to a new year. This is pretty awesome, right? Uh, glad 2020 is over. Uh, anyone else with me on that? It's been a year, right? So we got 2021, and uh, I'm really praying and hoping that by the end of it, it will look dramatically different than what we've been experiencing. Um, and New Year's are kind of like that, right? When we come into a new year, we have an opportunity for new beginnings and, and new resolutions and, you know, all these type of things. I, I came into this past year with the, the resolution that I wanted to, uh, by the end of the year, be able to run five kilometers at least once every single week, right? And I was able to get to my goal, and so that was really awesome. And so next year, I, I'm going to push it a little bit more and go for 10 kilometers at least once a week. And so we'll see if I'm able to do that before my knees just fall apart. Uh, and miles, uh, 3.2. <laughs> and so uh, we have an opportunity, though, at the beginning of the year to move forward with kind of these new goals and resolutions and stuff, right? And it's a fun thing to do. Um, this morning, I want to posit before you a new goal. It's actually an old goal, but maybe a new way of thinking about it. A new goal for us as the church moving into 2021, and that is to be a light in this world. And I know immediately a lot of you are like, yes, uh, Nathaniel, we know this. Uh, It's on my wall, actually, on a little plaque, you know. And it is true. Like, the church, this is throughout the New Testament. So the church, you know, in its entirety, really has uh, taught on this, preached about this, has, has put it forward. It's become almost even cliche in Christian circles that we are a light upon a hill. We are the lamp, right? We are a light in this world. And so, yes, we know this. It is common knowledge. But I would argue that the American church especially, but the church has forgotten what it actually means to be a light as Jesus commands And that we have forgotten what it actually looks like in practicality, how to actually do it every single day. And so I want to look at what it means to be a light in the world. Now, 2020 beat all of us up in some way or another. Every single one of us were affected. And the church is no different. We see that the American church took a beating in 2020 whether it's because attendance has dropped so dramatically, even digital attendance, but people are leaving the church in droves in the United States. We see that the media and multiple you know, online sources, whether it's social media or TV or whatever, is just attacking the church over and over and over uh, for a multitude of things. We see that people seem to be uh, so much more uh, eager to attack the church and to speak out against it. We see that giving has been down across the whole United States. Churches are closing in record numbers. We see all this stuff happening to the church. And I think a response has been, it's because the world just hates us so much more and there's so much persecution coming on us. I would argue that it is not because of any extra level of persecution. Rather, I would argue it's because we have forgotten as the church what it means to be a light. We use the excuse that it's somebody else's fault for this decline that we see, that it's just because we live in a world that is against us. Well, the world's always been against Jesus. 
that's not new. And so there is no new level of persecution. Rather, the church is not responding the way we should be. And we are going to address this today because it matters. It's wildly important. The way that you act matters. Your behavior matters. The things that you do when you leave this place, when you leave your home, or even within your home, matters. I remember when I was a kid and I would leave the house, my father would always say, hey, what you do when you leave this place is going to inform people about the Summers family. When you leave and everything that you do, every behavior that you practice, is going to reflect what people think about the Summers. Whether that's good or bad. In the same way, when when we go into the world and we live amongst the world, which we do, the way that we act, the way that we behave, is informing people about Jesus Christ. And so my question is, what message are you giving them? See, God has willed his gospel to be shared to the world through his people. That's the way he wants to do it. It's not because he can't do it without us. He chooses to do it through you because he loves you to the point that he trusts and knows that it is something powerful to see how somebody's life is transformed when God enters into your heart. And so he sees this and he says, this is my greatest testimony to the world. It's you. God has made it this way, and the world lives in a state of corruption because of sin, and it is in perpetual darkness. Jesus Christ is the only light that can pierce that darkness, and he chooses to shine that light through you, through the church. Are you allowing the light of Jesus to shine through you or are you like a lantern that has a black cloth over it that decides to hide its light and rather just perpetuate more darkness? As a Christian, those are really the options. And so today we're going to explore Philippians 2 verses 14 and 15, and we're going to see what Paul says about being a light. We're going to see how he explains it and how he tells us to actually practically apply this teaching. And so if you would open your Bibles to Philippians 2 with me, uh, we're going to read this passage, we're going to pray, and then we're going to dive into a, a definition of what does it mean to actually be a light in the world. So Philippians 2 Verses 14 and 15. It says, Paul says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. God, I thank you so much for this opportunity this morning that we can gather together in the midst of 
ending a crazy year, coming into a new year, and yet we have chosen to be together as a family because we know that you are the most important thing in our life. With that in mind, we know that the way we represent you has to be a priority for us. If you are truly our king, then we must serve you fully in every aspect of our lives. Not just on Sunday morning, but throughout the entire week and and every single day, every single hour, we must serve you and honor you and bring glory to you. And that's what we're talking about today. And, And Holy Spirit, I ask that you just set me aside so that your will will be done today, so that you will ignite the hearts of your people, so that a passion and a fervor is there so that people may come to know who you are through your people. God, I thank you for today and this morning and this time and this group of believers here with me. In your name, amen. All right, so what does it actually mean to be a light in the world? So I want to give three things that Paul actually says right here. Uh, Three things that kind of build upon each other. And by the end of talking about these three things, we're going to be able to have just a statement. A statement that we're going to say, what does it mean to be light in the world? It's this, okay? And so number one, Paul says we must be children of God. If you want to dive deep into what that really, really means, listen to last week's sermon. That's what it was all about. And today, we're just going to leave it simple. You must be a child of God, meaning you have to be a Christian. To be a light in the world, you must be a Christian. When you surrender your life to him and you invite God to take control of your life, he dwells within us. You can look at Ephesians 3 for more on this, but he dwells within us and and he transforms and renews us and he doesn't go away. He stays there. And so the thing that I thought of first when I was thinking of this was actually the movie Lion King. And and so I'm going to pull in some Disney. Uh, But you know when Scar takes over and, you know, Simba's not back yet, but he's coming back and the land, uh, I forget what it's called, but the land all is like dead, right? And gray and brown and dry. The animals are leaving, right? The lions are complaining because there's no more food, right? The land is dead. And then Simba returns and defeats Scar and, you know, everyone's all happy and stuff. And the land transforms pretty much immediately and becomes lush and, and bountiful and full. And, and the animals return, right? That, that's our hearts. Before God comes and makes his dwelling place within us, we are a dry brittle. It it says in scripture that that our hearts are are like brittle dry bones that are turning into ash. And then when God comes in and makes his dwelling within us, then we are renewed and transformed and we become bountiful. We become just healthy. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. There's this great transformation. And this is what Jesus does in every believer, and that change becomes evident for anyone to see. It is not something that is hidden. And so number one, we must be children of God. You you should be a Christian for the light, for you to be a light in the world. And so number two is without blemish. 
as Paul says. So we must be a Christian without blemish. And blemish in uh, the Greek here says that it's morally upright, that it is unblameable. So we can say that children of God without blemish is Christians who act in a way that people cannot reasonably accuse them of immorality. Now that statement is a strong statement, it's a heavy statement, and it raises a lot of questions because, let's be real, we live in a very uh, morally fluid society. And so there's going to be questions put a pin in those questions because we're going to spend a lot of time talking about this right after we finish this definition. But keep those questions in mind because they're very relevant. How do we as Christians do this when we live in a society that doesn't believe in strict, firm morality? But Paul says that we must be without blemish, unblameable, anyway, because point number three says, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Paul says, I know that the generation is crooked and twisted. You live in a world that doesn't have morality according to scripture, and yet I still call you to be unblameable. This means, though, that we must be living in the world, and so the only thing I'm going to say about this is that That means that you cannot just have your small group friends just be here on Sundays and hang out with church people all the time. We must live in the world and interact with the world, with non-Christians. Do not run away from the difficulty of having relationship with people who don't believe the same thing as you. And so if we put these three things together that Paul gives us, we can come with this statement for the Christian. Okay, This is what it means for a Christian to be a light in the world. It means that we must dwell in a hostile world and boldly live as Christians who cannot be reasonably accused of immorality. We must dwell in a hostile world and boldly live as Christians who cannot be reasonably accused of immorality. That phrase sounds really, really good, and yet it is very intimidating, and I recognize this, all right? And so now what we're going to do is we're going to address the intimidating part. What, how do we be upright, morally upright, unblameable people in a world that doesn't believe in right and wrong, in a world where what is moral follows what is best for the individual at the time or what makes them feel good. How in the world are we supposed to be unblameable when that is the reality of the culture around us? And I want to say that this is not unique to us, okay? I think there's a tendency for us to think that we live in some crazy decadent time that no one's ever experienced before, so how are we ever supposed to you know, grapple with this? And the reality is that's just not true. I mean, Paul says it right here, a crooked and twisted generation. The Roman Empire at the time was not the most uh, morally upright place, if you know anything about it. And so this is not a new concept, okay? 
We may do things in a different way. We may have technology. We may have other things, right, that make it look different. But the fact of people adjusting their morality to their own needs and their own desires, this is not new, okay? So take encouragement that Paul knows what he's talking about. We can actually look at Scripture and he can tell us how to deal with this. All right? The answers are here. And so what does acting without blemish look like? Paul tells us that we do that by doing all things without grumbling or disputing. Now, looking at this phrase in the original language is very interesting because it gives us a lot more clarity because when you just listen to that in English, it it doesn't really seem to kind of catch everything, right? And so in the Greek, what he's actually saying is that we must do all things, we must act in a way that has no outward or inward displeasure. No outward or inward displeasure displeasure. That means that Paul is saying it's not just how you act. It's the way your heart is. And in society, we have this cultural thing where you just kind of go and you put on the happy face, right? Put on a smile, get through the day, then you can come home and relax and chill and, and let it all go, right? I mean, I know I do this, I may have a meeting, you know, at work where uh, I'm not too excited about it, and I know I'm not going to agree with people, right? And so there's going to be conflict in some way, and I just, you know, put on the happy face and go in, and, and you know, I may be firm or, or really put my beliefs out there, but I'm treating everyone with great respect, and, and you know, like you're just getting through it in a good way, and you leave nothing, no damage done. But then I come home and immediately I vent to my wife, and I just go off. I mean, what's that really doing? That's putting it all on her, and it means my heart is still full of bitterness and anger, and I'm not really dealing with it. I'm not really acting without blemish. I'm just hiding it from certain people, but I still have an inward displeasure. And so Paul is telling us that if you want to be unblameable, If you want to be a light in the world, you must have outward and inward uh, an ability to have an outward and inward um, just joy and happiness. A way to deal with these things that uh, doesn't seem really possible, right? And that's kind of the point. It's not possible for us to do this without Jesus Christ. You must rely on him fully. And so I'm going to give you four practical steps, four things that we can pull from this passage and from other areas of Scripture on how to be a light in the world, how to act without blame, without blemish, how to be morally upright in our character to a world that will deny it. And so how can we do that? Number one, and I just hinted at it, submit to the Holy Spirit. We must submit to the Holy Spirit. See, humans gravitate toward like-minded humans. We, we want to be in groups that believe the same thing. It, it makes us comfortable because we don't like conflict or disagreement. It's not our natural state of, of being comfortable, right? And, and so we don't want this. So we have to rely on God to be able to respond to conflict and disagreement in a righteous way. 
Because naturally, we just don't. It's just not possible. And see, this is actually the difference that people are going to see most evident in the life of a Christian, is the ability to respond in a way that is righteous and good. The early church, when it was first started, right, this is in the Roman Empire, spreading around, and it grew rapidly. Christianity grew rapidly, but they didn't do street evangelism. They didn't have big services. I mean, it was all meetings in people's homes. So how, how is it spread so rapidly in a way that we honestly haven't seen in America in a long, long time? How did that happen? It was because Christians lived a life that was so radically moral compared to those around them. Their neighbors saw them every single day and they knew something was different. They were like, why do you behave this way? How is this even possible for you to be just so good? And it brought people to Jesus. And now this is a time that they also faced extreme persecution and not just persecution in the form of deaths and martyrs and the state collecting Christians and killing them, though that did happen at periods. But throughout the early church from basically its beginning for the first few hundred years, there was a lot of rumors uh, through the main population that Christians uh, did cannibalism because of communion. People didn't understand it. They heard the language and heard the things about having body and blood, right? And so they thought that, that Christians ate people and did, and did baby sacrifices and other things. So this is happening. This spread of Christianity is happening in a world where, I mean, there was a lot of stuff being said about Christians. There was a lot of bad things being said, and yet people still would know a Christian and say, there's something morally good about you. I've heard this, but you, your character is just so good that there must be something good about this. Now, we have a lot of things coming at us today in 2021, people saying a lot of things about the church. Uh, cannibalism is not one of them. So I'm pretty sure that they had it worse even in that area than we do today. And yet, they were still able to grow in a way that is just unimaginable because they were morally upright and unblameable. And let's be real, so much of the American church is not. When we submit ourselves to God and allow the Holy Spirit to do his thing within us, we become better people. And it's not because of anything we do. It's not because we all of a sudden can act better. It's because God transforms and renews us and the Holy Spirit places within us a special gift that we are able to do these things. The fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 23. But the fruit of the Spirit, the things that come out of a Christian if you submit to God is love. It's joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, 
self-control in all areas of your life. Against such things there is no law. And in verse 25, he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. If you submit to the Holy Spirit in your life, if you submit to Him, these things will be possible and evident. I don't know about you guys, but not many of these things come naturally to me. And yet, I can know that God will do it through me anyway. And if you want to gauge of how you're actually submitting to the Holy Spirit, how you actually are doing with this, then check them out. Compare your life. Go to a friend and ask, am I a patient person? Do I have self-control in my eating habits? Am I a good person? People will respond in, and they will reveal to you areas that you are not submitting to God. Don't take it in a way that's discouraging, though. Take it in a way that means you can submit something new to Him. And we can move forward knowing that He will transform us anew. If we can do this one thing, right, everything else will just fall into place. If we submit fully to the Holy Spirit, everything else will just fall into place. So I actually could stop right there, but I'm not going to. i got plenty of time. Um, so I've got three more things. but These are all secondary to that one. Submit to the Holy Spirit so that he may do something amazing within you. And so number two, stop expecting non-Christians to act like a Christian. <laughs> I will. Stop expecting non-Christians to act like Christians. See, no one lives in accordance with God's holy character and his level of morality. In Romans 3, 10, and 11, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside, and together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. That includes you, Christian. It is only through God that we are able to have any semblance of righteousness. And so why are you expecting people who don't know God to be righteous? It doesn't make any sense. Have we forgotten how, how we have been saved ourselves from darkness? And yet we condemn those who are still within it rather than pointing them toward Jesus. I have a cousin who is openly homosexual. And this conversation is one that I get a lot about, okay, how do I interact then with people who don't uh, believe, one, they don't believe the same things I do, but they actually live in direct opposition. Um, how, how's this possible? How do we live morally upright and stand firm for holiness and scripture in the face of this kind of relationship, right? So I have a cousin who is openly homosexual. That should not damage my relationship with him. It should not lead me to 
excluding him from family functions, from things that we do, from, from living life together. When I go out and hang out with people, it should not be a reason why I don't invite him. Him living in the Midwest might be, but him being a homosexual has nothing to do with the relationship that we have. Now, if he says that he is a Christian, then that's a different conversation about addressing his knowledge of what being a Christian actually is. And if you want to know more about that, go back to one of our old sermon series just, well, two times ago about Jude. Go to Jude, read it, listen to the sermon series. That addresses people within the church who who claim to be Christians and still living in sin. That's not what we're talking about, okay? If he doesn't claim to be a Christian then why would I even bring it up? Now, as a Christian, my first love is God. Jesus is the most important thing to me. And the most important thing to you is the thing you talk about. And so you will talk about Jesus. You will talk about God. But there's no reason to talk about it in a way of condemnation toward his lifestyle. It doesn't even make any sense because he's not a Christian He doesn't care. In fact, if I speak condemnation on him because he's living in open sin, then uh, I'm just pushing him away. We must constantly be aware of the way that we are interacting with people who are not Christians because it is important that our actions and our behavior is representing Jesus well, okay? And Jesus did not openly condemn. He he would claim that sin is sin, but he would not condemn sinners. In fact, the only people he really condemned were the religious elite who were living, apparently, from what they said, they were living in a way that honored God, But he would say, no, you're not. You're in sin. I mean, we can just look at the adulterous woman when when he says, you know, leave her alone. If you're without sin, you know, then you can do something. You can cast the first stone. But otherwise, leave her alone. And then he just tells her, go. Repent. Live with no sin, but go. You're free to go. Right? He, He does not condemn people because of their sin. Rather, he lives with them. And that's our next point, is that we must bring non-Christians into our life because that's what Jesus did. He did not speak condemnation on them. He had dinner with them. He ate with tax collectors. He hung out with those who lived in sin. If you look at the apostles and you look at a bunch of the other uh, individuals throughout the New Testament who were hanging out with Jesus— and you understand their past, I mean, you got everything from tax collectors, which were, you know, evil men at the time. You've got prostitutes. You've you got very angry individuals. You have zealots who were basically terrorists at the time, violent terrorists in this time period. All of these kind of people were who he hung out with. And he did not condemn them, but rather he just spoke the truth about God to them and because he himself was out without any kind of sin, Jesus was as morally upright as possible 
through that light they came to know who God is. It is not your job to save people. It is your job to point them to Jesus. And this has become just uncommon in the church. We have this uh, cultural identity in the United States of an us versus them mentality that leads to division and tribalism. I mean, look at political parties and they're just getting more and more violent toward each other. You, you can look at really anything, you know, and, and social media has just perpetuated this even more where you, you're getting, you know, Facebook groups who their whole purpose is to hate other Facebook groups, right? Like there is such division within our cultural identity and the church is partaking in this. We seem to be fine with it. In fact, we want more and more to divide our nation and, and the people that we live with just because we think it's the way we're supposed to do things. Man, Jesus is countercultural, but he's not countercultural because he is uh, responding. Uh, he's not countercultural because he is dealing with uh, hate in the way that we do. Rather, he is dealing in love. And that is something that is different. It is something that is totally radically different than the way that we do things. And this us versus them mentality that the church is partaking in, man, it is sinful. There is no us, the church, against them, the rest of the world. There is a world that is covered in darkness, and we have Jesus Christ as the only answer for it. That should be the only thing we think about. We should not go into a place, we should not go in to a city and think, man, this city has so much sin in it. Man, I wish we could just, you know, plant churches and save all these people. Man, our mentality should be, man, this is a place where people understand what it means to not know Jesus because, because they, they have nothing in their lives that can point them to him. Let's point them to Jesus. That has to be your mentality. It has to be the only thing that you're worried about. Because if we start getting into this mentality of I've got to save my own territory, I've got to save the life that we once had where, where we were a Christian nation, quote unquote. If we get into this mentality of man is us against all these people who are trying to take us away from what we once had or who God is, man, we are missing who God actually is. Because God is not a Christian America. There has to be a focus on the person and work of Jesus Christ, and that has to be it. Jesus himself had amazingly healthy relationships with non-Christians. Do you have healthy relationships with non-Christians? Which leads us to the, our last one, number four. We must love people. We must love people. And we love in a way that is better than the world can love. Like I said earlier, hate is the defining feature of darkness. The world responds with hate to everything. We should respond in love. 
That is how Christianity is countercultural. Because we are not hate-filled, we are love-filled. And we must love like the world cannot. Because see, God, he hates sin, right? God hates sin. We must hate sin, but God loves people more. That's evident because he saved us. He made salvation possible despite of our sin. So stop hiding behind the whole idea of I must speak out against sin because I hate it, because God hates it. Man, God loves that person more than he hates their sin. What would it look like if we loved people more than we hated their sin? What, if, what would it look like if we pursued people's salvation rather than their damnation? This is something that we have forgotten. We love like no one can only because Jesus shines through us. That's the light that will pierce the blackest night. That is the light that will bring people salvation through the abyss that they are just tumbling through in their lives. If you want to know if you're being a light in the world, ask yourself, do I actually show love to everyone, even my enemies, those that I don't get along with? Are you showing love to them? And a love that's going to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, a love that is all those things, goodness, kindness, self-control, because it says in Romans chapter 2 that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. It is the goodness of God that leads people to repent of their sins. It is his goodness through the Christian that will lead people to him. I want to be a part of that. And I'll say this one last thing before we get our last point. This one last thing. If you hide behind the thin argument of tough love, then you should repent. My cousin, it is not tough love to go to him and just tell him all the ways that he is living in sin and not going according to, you know, Scripture. That, that's not tough love. It is not tough love to go out onto the streets with a sign that says God lo- hates these people, whoever they are. That is not tough love. That is not standing up for righteousness. That is sin itself. We must love them in relationships with them. Just as Jesus did And that, his love that pours through us, that will lead people to salvation and repentance and transformation and sin will be defeated. And so to close out our time today, what are the results of being a light? What are the results if we can do this and we can do this well? What happens? Two things. One, the maturation of the church 
the church will become mature and healthy and strengthened. Uh, You will be personally sanctified in it because the Holy Spirit is renewing you and transforming you and you are having things happen where you are able to enact the fruit of the Spirit. All things that we don't do, it happens. So you will become personally sanctified and more holy and more like Jesus and then we will also encourage each other to do the same. How radical would it really be if we had a church that just acted like this every single day? That's the result of being a light, a mature church. And then number two, and really the most important thing and the only thing, that we point everyone toward Jesus. His glory will be known. People will see the evidence of it in your transformed life. They will see the evidence of it in his bride, the church, and his salvific purpose for us all shall be shown. People will know how to repent and to be saved if they see it acting out within your own life. That is what this is all about. All right, we talked a lot today about, about how to act and how to behave and how to treat certain situations. And yes, that happens, but it is a result of you being a child of God. And that is something that is desirable to even the worst sinner. I know because it's me. God is the best thing that's happened to me. And he's something that, that we should be proud of to push forward but not with hate, not with condemnation, but with love, the way that Jesus did it. It's all about Jesus. And so be a light this year in 2021. Be a light in the world so that people may come to know Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much. Father, you are everything. I thank you that you have given us such a beautiful, wonderful opportunity to live in the midst of a world where life isn't just easy all the time. And that's because it is beautiful. Man, we live in a world that pushes back against you, and you have blessed us with the opportunity to be able to stand in front of all of that and take their shots and stand strong and firm and love anyway. God, that shouldn't be possible, and yet it is, and it is evident, and we have seen it, and it happens. God, I ask that we see a movement right now here in Storehouse this year where we love like no one has ever loved before so that we can take this city and we can push people toward you. That is my prayer. Father, you are wonderful. Let that be what we celebrate and worship and proclaim in our words and our actions. In your holy name, amen.